Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, once again we come before you and we thank you that we have an advocate with you, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is seated at your right hand, making intercessions for us. And we do believe our God that our standing before you not only now, but in eternity, will always be found in Jesus Christ. We know that in us, even at our best state, we're altogether vanity. And the only sure foundation and the only sure standing is in the justifying righteousness that is given to us by your mercies and grace. I ask our God that you would Work in us by your Holy Spirit so that our appreciation and fellowship in the finished work of Christ would grow in our souls as we continue to live out our lives upon this earth. All we can say about the glory world is that we shall be satisfied, we shall be content, we shall be sinless, we will have an honorable body, immortal body, the body of glory. And while we use those words and terms, we know not what it shall be. May that day be soon. But we ask that you would bless us to be content, live out our lives with purpose of heart, as we continue in this world of sin and sorrow. There's much unrest, there's much chaos and turmoil throughout the world. 
We would desire that you might overrule in such a way that there would be real peace on earth. But that can only be in the blood righteousness of Christ. We do pray that you would be with your ministers who stand to preach and ask our God that it might bring forth fruit to your honor and glory. Be with those for whom we've mentioned earlier and no doubt there are some that we haven't thought of going through trials and afflictions and sicknesses and ask our God for healing mercies. Now we pray again that you would be with us as we continue in this worship. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 110. We, Psalm 110. I did not plan this out. As you know, this was our scripture reading this morning. But uh, I uh, determined sometime this week no, I believe it even last week. I'm not sure now when it was that I was going to speak from Psalm 110, verse 1, because of our having the Lord's Supper this afternoon. And it didn't dawn on me that this would be our Scripture reading also this morning uh, until uh, I looked to see what the Scripture reading was last night. And... Uh, so since it is uh, a short psalm, I want to go ahead and just read the entire psalm again. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn, and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads of many countries. He shall drink the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. It is worthy of note that verse 1 of Psalm 110 
is quoted in the New Testament more often than any other passage of the Old Testament. And verse 4, where it says, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Almost an entire chapter is devoted to that in Hebrews chapter 7. Verses 10 through, excuse me, 11 through 28. And I'm tempted to turn there and read it, but I won't for time's sake because we're not uh, talking about Melchizedek per se, though we will be talking about our kingly priest. Our kingly priest. I'm going to read each place where this verse is quoted in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And to set the context, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? If Christ, the Messiah, is the son of David, how does David call him Lord? Saying, and here's the verse, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And I like verse 46. No man was able to answer him a word, neither neither doth any man from that day forward ask him any more questions. The beauty of it, if you would go back and read the entire chapter 22, you'll find that the lawyers went to Christ and they were trying to trick him up then the Pharisees tried to trick him up. And then the Sadducees tried to trick him up. And they couldn't trick him up. But when Jesus got through with them, they hushed. <laughs> he stopped their mouths. All right. Mark chapter 12. Verse 35. 
And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, Note that, by the Holy Ghost. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord, and whence is he his son? Luke chapter 20. Verse 41. And he said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord. How is he then his son? Acts chapter 2. Verse 34. Now I want to read verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heavens, into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. I will say this. Back in verse 30, Peter's talking about David, therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with the oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. And so David was a prophet. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 13, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So we see that this passage is quoted over and over and over again in the New Testament. But not only that, 
There are other passages that really uh, refer to Psalm 110, verse 1, that are not a direct quote. I'll read a few. First of all, Mark 16. Mark 16.36. No, Mark 16.19. Sorry about that. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven. And here it is that refers to Psalm 110.1. And sat on the right hand of God. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Put all things under his feet and so on. Colossians 3, 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And there's many others, but I'll give you Hebrews 1 3, Hebrews 8 1, Hebrews 10 12 through 13. Hebrews 12, 2, 1 Peter 3, 22, and on and on and on. In other words, you say, well, what's this have to do with the Lord's Supper? When Christ, and if you study all those other passages and many others, when Christ fulfilled the work of redemption, as was said in Acts chapter 2, if we had read all of that sermon, He ascended at the right hand of God, showing that the work of redemption is complete. And that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Our redemption is in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you will remember that when we read all of the other passages, it's without question that Psalm 110 was written by David. And you will remember, I pointed out in the passage in Mark, where it said that David spake that by the Holy Ghost. And we pointed out in Acts 2, David was a prophet. 
showing the inspiration of Scripture. David didn't. The only the only way that David could have written that is for God to inspire him to write it. But the psalm not only deals overall with Messiah as being God, but also being the priestly king after the order of Melchizedek, of which Hebrews tells us that Moses didn't speak anything about the tribe of Judah being priestly. So here we see God joining the priest and the king together in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's something else that is intimated in this verse. The distinction between the Father and the Son. Notice how the word Lord is spelled, is used twice in Psalm 110.1, but it's not spelled the same way. The first Lord is in all caps. The second Lord is not. Now this is something that is very, very essential. Most of all the modern translations do not make this distinction. Though some will say for the first Lord, Yahweh, or Jehovah. And as far as I know, any translation of this in Bibles of other languages, whether it be French, Russian, Spanish, whatever, does not make this distinction. which as far as I'm concerned is another plus. And the reason that I say the King James translation is the best English translation. The translators wanted to make sure that the distinction is made. You say, well, what is the distinction? The first Lord, obviously, 
as we uh, saw it read throughout in the New Testament, is referring to God the Father, Jehovah, the I Am of Exodus chapter 3, chapter 6. The second word comes from the word Adon or Adonai. Now, the Jews were so honorable to God They wanted to give proper respect to God that when they saw this word for Lord with all caps, they wouldn't even say God or Lord. They would say Adonai, which is the second here because they thought God's name was too sacred to even use. That is far, far cry from our modern society, is it not? God's name is used in vain continually, even by professing Christians. Turn with me to Exodus 3. I know you're no doubt familiar with this, but it's good to refresh us. Take it up in verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. You say, well, what's so special about that? Well, a lot of things, but turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. Verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, 
was I not known to them. That word Jehovah in the Hebrew is the same as the I am in chapter 3. It's normally called the Tetragrammaton. Now that doesn't mean anything to you, but you know in Hebrew there are no vowels, all consonants. But there are vowel points that was added later. And so the four consonants that's in the word for Jehovah, the J, H, V, H, those four letters are called in uh, in theology and so called the Tetragrammaton. And so when the Jews would see that, they would say Adonai. But it was really talking about Jehovah, Jehovah God, the I Am. God couldn't say I was because if He was, that means at one point He was not. He couldn't say I will be because still again at one point He would not be. He's I am. Before creation, when there was nothing but God, He was I am. Twenty twenty four. God is I am. In eternity, future, for us, there's no future with God, it's I am. There's no past with God. There's no no succession of moments. It is in God that we live and move and have our being. And yet God is not the creation. The creation is separate and apart from God. Just like we're separate and apart from God. We're not God. We're not a little God. God is the eternal I Am. Yesterday, God was I Am. Tomorrow, God is I Am. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You say, well, I don't understand that. I don't either. That's what He is. And the I Am said to Adonai, the son of David, sit thou on my right hand. When is it that Christ sat on the right hand of God? 
after he finished the work and said, it is done. He was raised to the right hand of God. Beloved, this is the one in whom we commemorate as we eat the bread and drink the wine. The eternal Son of God. Now I've got I don't know how many passages of Scripture written down here. Just in the book of John alone, not only where Jesus said, I am, you know, He said, I am the vine, I am the, the way, the truth, and the light, I am the resurrection, I am the good shepherd. But there were many other <clears throat> times when Jesus used this Greek expression, ego a me, to say that I am. And Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. In Psalm 110.1, the Lord said unto my Lord, we see two distinct beings. You know, there are some people say that deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Obviously, the Lord said to my Lord, He wasn't talking to Himself. There were two entities. There was Jehovah that spoke to Adonai. And yet, he's David's son. Not only the Trinity implied, you say, well, where was the Holy Ghost in all of this? You know, well, you remember where we, where we, where we, where we, when we read <laughs> in Mark chapter 12, it said David spake by the Holy Ghost. David was speaking. He was speaking of the first person and the second person by the third person. He wasn't speaking by Adonai. He wasn't speaking by Jehovah. He was speaking by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So you see the Trinity is involved and there are many other passages that teach the Trinity. But you also see a distinction which we normally say persons of the first person and the second person. And how is it that David's Lord could be David's son through the virgin birth and the incarnation. There's a whole lot of things wrapped up in Psalm 110 verse 1. Are there not?
a lot of things wrapped up in that. But we must hurry on because I want to focus our attention somewhat this expression at the right hand of God and show that this is indicative that the redemptive work of Christ is finished and accomplished. Jesus didn't come to make salvation possible. He come to save. Look at Mark chapter 16. We read this previously. Verse 19, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. I won't read Acts 2 and Ephesians 1 again. Turn with me to Hebrews 10. Verse 12. But this man, we know that's Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, for sins, forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Sound like Psalm 110, does it not? Not only is he at the right hand of God, but his enemies shall be his footstool. Hebrews 12, in verse 2. looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. First Peter 3.
talking about our Lord in verse 22. In verse 18, it said that He suffered for sin. But in verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. These verses show that our Lord, after He had finished the redemptive work, is at the right hand of God. Also to, uh, regarding this phrase, at the right hand of God, I want to read from John Gill. thought what he had to say was good. He said, a power and majesty expressive of the honor done to Christ and the glory put on Him in the human nature, such as angels nor any creature ever had, it being always accounted honorable to sit at the right hand of great personages, and also of rule and power and authority, being upon the same throne with His Father, exercising the same government over angels and men, and setting is explained by reigning, according to 1 Corinthians 15.25. It denotes having done His work and to satisfaction, and therefore is set down being entered into His rest, and having ceased from His work, and labor, enjoying the presence of His divine Father, in which is fullness of joy, and at whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. And it also signifies the continuance of regal honor and power. He sits and continues as a king, as well as a priest forever. Yes, this sitting, being seated at the right hand of God, shows that He is not only a king forever, but He is a priest forever. As Hebrews tells us, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 6. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then verse 10, Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Then in verse 17, no, no, excuse me, uh, chapter 7 and verse 17. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Beloved, when we are with the Lord in glory, he will still be our priest. We will still be accepted by God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and his enemies are his footstool. His enemies are his footstool. We do not see the enemies of God being under the feet of our Lord yet, but we shall. We shall. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the I Am, and yet He is distinct from the Father, as we've already covered some of those passages. He's not frustrated at all at what's going on in the world today. He's not wringing His hands. He's not worried about what Russia, China, Israel, Iran, the Palestinians, the Egyptians, He's not worried about what they're going to do. He upholds all things by the word of His power. This is our Savior. This is our King. This is our priest. This is the one that we are commemorating as we eat the bread and drink the wine. Our Lord and Master who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's there. He's making intercessions for us. He's going to come back and get us someday. You remember, uh, I believe it was, I don't think it was, uh, it was uh, not last Lord's Day, but Lord's Day before that, when we were looking in First John chapter 4, where we were told to fear not, be not afraid. And we went through many passages to show that throughout the Scriptures. Beloved, we look around us and we're trepidatious about many things. Some people are fearful of one thing. Someone else may think that's foolish and yet they're fearful about something else. And we all have our fears. We all have our wonderments. Bless, may God bless us to lay hold upon the fact that our Savior, David's Son, God's Son, David's Lord, our Lord, is upholding all things by the word of His power. And He's going to bring it all to a close in His own time. You know, you can read the prophets and many of those prophets prophesied hundreds of years after God brought Israel out of Egypt. And yet many of those prophets would say, did not I bring you out of Egypt? 
Did not I create the earth? Did not I do this? Why did you turn your back on me? Well, it's been 2,000 years since our Lord went back. We don't know when He's coming, but He's coming. It was approximately 1,500 years from the time of Moses to the coming of the Lord. So we see that as Peter says, one day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. He doesn't reckon as we do. Why? Because he's what? I am. There's no cessation of moments with him. There's no yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's I am. And Jesus said before Abraham what? I am. So take heart, beloved. Think about your exalted Lord and Savior and King and Priest as we eat the bread and drink the wine. I want to read another lengthy quote. It's from Charles Spurgeon from his uh, Treasury of David. He put out a commentary on the Psalms called the Treasury of David. But on the statement, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Away from the shame and suffering of his earthly life, Jehovah calls the Adonai, our Lord, to the repose and honor of his celestial seat. His work is done. He may sit. It is well done. And he may sit at his right hand. It will have grand results. And he may therefore quietly wait to see the complete victory which is certain to follow. The glorious Jehovah thus addresses the Christ as our Savior. For, says David, he said unto my Lord, Jesus is placed in the seat of power, dominion, and dignity, and is to sit there by divine appointment while Jehovah fights for him and lays every rebel beneath his feet. He sits there by the Father's authority. Excuse me. He sits there by the Father's ordinance and call and will sit there despite all the ragings of his adversaries till they are all brought to utter shame by his putting his foot upon their necks. In this sitting, he is our representative. The mediatorial kingdom will last until the last enemy shall be destroyed. And then, according to the inspired word, cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. The work of subduing the nations is now 
in the hand of the great God, who by his providence will accomplish it to the glory of his Son. His word is pledged to it, and the session of his Son at his right hand is guarantee thereof. Therefore, let us never fear as to the future. While we see our Lord and representative sitting in quiet expectancy, we too may sit in the attitude of peaceful assurance and with confidence await the grand outcome of all events. As surely as Jehovah liveth, Jesus must reign. Yea, even now he is reigning through all his enemies, excuse me, though all his enemies are not yet subdued. During the present interval through which we wait for his glorious appearing and visible millennial kingdom, he is in the place of power and his dominion is in jeopardy, or otherwise he would not remain quiescent. He sits because all is safe. He sits at Jehovah's right hand because omnipotence waits to accomplish his will. Therefore, there is no cause for alarm, whatever may happen in this lower world. The sight of Jesus enthroned in divine glory is the sure guarantee that all things are moving onward toward ultimate victory. Those rebels who now stand high in power shall soon be in the place of contempt. They shall be his footstool. He shall with ease rule them. He shall sit and put his feet on them, not rising to tread them down as when a man puts forth force to subdue powerful foes, but retaining the attitude of rest and still ruling them as abject vassals who have no longer spirit to rebel, but have become thoroughly tamed and subdued. This is our Lord. This is our Master. This is our Savior. Rejoice in Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we come and thank You for our reigning King, our glorious Savior, and I pray, my God, that these truths will become more familiar to us as we live out our lives upon this earth. And it is in Christ we pray. Amen.